Hi, this is Michelle Weidenbenner, your Chief Hope Builder. If you are here, it's because you have a loved one with a substance use disorder and you're looking for support. Well, you're in the right place because I help you along your journey um, to, to introduce you to different people, different experts in the field, and to share hope with you because so often we get stuck and don't know how to live our lives without trying to fix our addicted loved ones. So I am the author of Moms Letting Go Without Giving Up, Seven Steps to Self-Recovery. And recently I will be launching Unhackable Moms of Addicted Loved Ones, Closing the Gap Between Havoc and Hope. This is a 30-day program that can help you go from havoc to hope and learn how to take charge of your own life. Think of it as a leadership book for moms who are in the same situation that I've been in and out of for so many years. Um, Please find my books at Amazon or anywhere that they are sold. If you would like to join us in a private Facebook group, you can find us at Moms Letting Go in Facebook. And um, if you'd like to join us in the tribe for more sisterhood and support, just go to Teachable. That's momslettinggo.teachable.com and find us there. But regardless, you're in the right place right now and we want to encourage you on your hope journey. We want to be here for you. Um, I have a group of care team members who are all where you have been or are today. So we want the best for you. God bless. Thank you and welcome. Hi, it's Michelle with Jody Gibson today. This is a quote from her. Leading is an honor. Leading from a healed space is how legends are born. Come learn what's holding you back. I love that. And um, Jody is an emerging expert on healing leadership. As a professional coach and speaker, she has created massive change and generated millions of dollars for her clients. She... Um, I'm skipping ahead here, has built an award-winning cultures and recently published her first book. And I don't know how this is healing your map, encompassing developmental trauma. Her holistic approach is deeply layered in developmental psychology, NLP, neuroscience, consciousness, trauma, intention, levels of energy, professional coaching, and the law of vibration. This unconventional approach emerges from pairing her often tumultuous experiential education with her extensive formal education. The intersection she creates with these is beyond fascinating. And she lives in Oakland County, Michigan, and coaches, trains, and speaks worldwide. Woohoo! So we have Jody here. Welcome, Jody. I love that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. And I got that at LinkedIn. So if you want to um, follow Jody at, or learn more about her at LinkedIn, it's J-O-D-E-E Gibson, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. So thank you for, for being our guest today. And obviously you could speak on so many different topics that moms deal with, right? The trauma 
that their children, sometimes we think, well, they're using because of the trauma in their lives. Um, you can talk about the neuroscience of the brain and what happens in addiction. But um, you asked me, you know, like, what, what would you like me to talk about? And I said, what about that emotional age thing where, you know, our kids are 30 years old, but they're acting like 16 year olds because they started using when they were 16 and their emotional age just is like, it just stops. And they don't, we don't know how to treat them because they don't act their age. So anyway, any, um, anything you can offer about, uh, talk about that for us would be awesome. Yes, absolutely. I think it's a great question. And one of the things I, I say that I often jam out about is arrested emotional development. And so two things, I feel like two things are going on in the question that you asked. I think it's multi-layered. The first part of it that you shared was if a mom was sitting across the table from someone that was maybe 30 years old and they started using when they were 16, understanding that that also pauses their development, but the arrested emotional development happened well before that 16 year old started using. And so what happened was there was a lack in developmenting, sorry, there was a lack in developing the skills necessary to process their emotions. And so because they don't have the capacity to process their emotion or use their voice or understand what's happening inside of them, they're instead medicating what keeps trying to come up and out. And so whether it's rage, whether it's nervous energy, whether it's anxiety, whether it's anger, depression, whatever it is, they're medicating it by saying, no, I don't want to either. I don't want to feel this, but I think the majority of the time people don't want to feel things because they don't know how. Right. So they say, no, it's just going to be too painful. I don't want to talk about it without ever realizing it's actually more painful to carry it around with you for 15 years. Yeah. It's heavier and it weighs more on you to keep carrying it around because it almost grows tentacles and then it grows beliefs and then it impedes on your life. And so understanding that the concept of arrested emotional development means there's a time and space where something happened to this, I'm going to say child, right? Yeah. It often happens before the age of eight, somewhere between the age of four and eight, this occurs. So if something happened and this child was trying to trust an adult, we'll use the emotion of trust. If they were trying to trust an adult and that trust was broken, mm. that emotion has been arrested. So imagine that it's encapsulated and it's frozen. And so now every time I try and tr trust somebody, I'm like, nope, not going to do it. Nope, not going to do it. Even though I'm growing and maturing at my appropriate age level, my trust is still four years old. Wow. Right. So that's really what arrested emotional development is, is that emotion is paused. So, so what, what is, a, what would you say though, to a mom? Cause you know, that Ryan, my son shared with me later. Uh, much later that something happened to him when I took him to a babysitter that he never shared with me. And he sure. was between those, he was at that age. How do moms cope with the guilt? Well, that might be a question that's hard for you to answer. But like, when we realize that happens, so often moms will just get stuck and be like, well, it was all my fault then. Well, sure. I think it makes total and complete sense for us to self-reflect and say, it had to be my fault. I'm the mom. Right. But I think the other part of it, like there's so many layers to it. Yeah. Unpacking it and saying, okay, let's isolate what's happening. 
And so if my son or daughter is feeling a certain kind of way and they don't know how to express those feelings, that's usually step one. Step two that you just shared too is if what if something happened to our kid that we had no idea ever happened? We wouldn't know, right? Yeah. And I think too, when people start using, usually they're very discreet about it. Even though moms have this intuition, like something's going on, I can't put my finger on it. But there's there's so much happening in that space that it makes total sense for us as a parent to say, where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I miss? What can I do better? How do I fix it now? And all those questions. And I, I circle back and say, nothing. Like There's nothing that we can do now in this moment to fix that except heal ourselves. And the more we heal ourselves, the more we learn to hold space for our child and the more that we learn about the healing process, the more we learn, we, we kind of share that information with our kids yeah. and say, okay, hey, you know what? I used to not know how to use my voice. And so it might've sounded like this. And I'm sharing that and then zipping it. I'm not saying, how does that apply to you? I'm not saying, I'm literally planting a seed by saying, maybe I didn't give you this skill because I didn't have access to it before. And yeah. so I'm letting you know that I just found mine. Oh, and I'm pausing, right? Because I want them to self-discover and go, wait, do I use my voice or do I do it? And there it's truly called a trans-derivational search. So when people reflect back, when we ask them a question and they reflect back and dig through their own baggage and their own timeline and their own history, and they're literally like, oh, wait, that process has so much growth in it. That's how you stretch your mind. That's how you heal. That's how you learn the things. I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example that people use, but I think oftentimes we we interrupt the silence because it's uncomfortable for us. Yeah. And so as parents, asking a question and leaving it alone is the greatest thing we can do for our kids. Yeah. Versus telling, right? Right. Here's a good example. And this is a silly one. But if I said to my daughter, is your homework done? Is your homework done? Is your did you, What time are you doing your homework? Are you doing your homework? <laughs> right. If I instead said, how am I going to know that your homework is done? Yeah. She's going to go, oh, shit, I didn't do it. Let me go. <laughs> I'll tell you how you'll know in a minute. And this I'm thinking of a smaller kid, right? She'll probably go do it and finish it and bring it and go, here you go, it's done. Or yeah. she'll verbally say in that moment, oh, it's done, I did it. But yeah. it allows her to go, how would my mom know? Yeah. Oh, here's how she'll know. Versus Boy. me asking yes, no questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so interesting because so we practice um, active listening in our groups. And because we want to be silent when it's appropriate. Right. And, um, sometimes asking, like, you really have to pick the question. Well, so we talk about using, um, open-ended questions. I think, is that what you just said? Not yes or no answers. So that Always, yeah. think, think, so go back a second though. Cause oh, that was so good. You said, what was the question that you asked about the homework. I said, how will I know that your homework how is done? Yeah. How will I know? Right? Yeah. Instead of, did you do it? Yeah. Or when are you going to do it? Or what, what, all the right. other things that we say as parents, right? Yeah. I can share a nugget with you. And this is tucked inside my book, but there's five different questions that we can ask. It's actually five preface words and all five of them pull forward a different Ooh. 
level of energy or they, they pull forward a different answer, even if it's the same topic. Okay. So if we, if we start the question with the word, how, mm -hmm. how reveals process, right? Yeah. So if I say, how will I know? She's going to show me the process of how I will know. The question, what reveals content? So if I said, what is your homework? She's going to tell me, oh, well, it's this. Right. right? If I ask when, the word when reveals time recognition. So if I said, when are you planning on doing your homework? Or when is it going to be done? Or when can your teacher expect it gets turned in? Or when was yeah. it assigned? Right? So when is time recognition? Okay. Who reveals resources? So if I preface a question with who would know, you're like, who, who do you know? Who is going to reveal what resources they have access to? Right. And where reveals location. Yeah. And then there's another question I um, intentionally always leave out. Why? Why? Yes. No, no, no. And so yes. I'm sharing that and saying those five questions I, I just gave you are objective. Right. They're literally going to reveal facts. Yes. There's no intent. There's no emotion involved. As soon as you ask why, why reveals emotion. And why invites subjectivity, it invites emotion, it invites all these things that we really like, why didn't you do your homework? Right. Right. And then we feel attacked and we're like, why didn't you call me back? And why didn't you come to the party? Why didn't, right? There's all right. these, why didn't you come They home get defensive. Time? Yeah. Right. You don't ask why. And so why is that sticky word where I'm like, there's five other questions you can ask before you have to ask why. And you'll probably get your answer from those five. Yeah. And you'll and stay in that neutral zone as a mom because you don't want that heightened emotion you need to do a ted tedx just on that oh my yes. gosh yes oh good idea okay yeah. so wait tell everybody the name of your book again and where they can get it because we're talking about your book absolutely so the name of my book is called healing your map a guide to understanding discernment trauma and human behavior <sighs> and it is available on amazon barnes and noble and any bookseller nearby Okay. It Healing. just came out on November 1st. Oh, it did. So this yeah. is really recent. Yay. Okay. And if I can give you a, a 60 second blurb Pitch. on the idea, the concept for me is that we're all born with a blank map. So the moment that you are conceived, you're given a blank map. So you have a map. I have a map. Our kids have maps. Our spouses, our neighbors, everybody on the planet has their very own map. And our map collects every single detail of our life, every sound, every color, every relationship, every feeling, every fight, every, every single thing we've ever experienced is collected on this map, right? And this map then serves as the tool that we use to navigate around the world, but it also serves as the lens through which we see the world, yeah. which makes total sense why you and I can witness something and have two different recollections of what happened. Because I'm seeing it through my lens and you're seeing it through yours. Yeah. And so the idea is it's two part. If the map is, if I can dissociate and there's this map and there's me, mm -hmm. healing the map means there's nothing wrong with me, right? Like I'm a whole person. There's just some things I want to edit on my map. Right. Right. And so it's understanding that I think sometimes when, we, we say to people, well, what is it about that that bothers you? Or what is it? And so I'll say to people, what is it on your map that's creating that reality for you? Yes. And like, oh, and, and they literally self-reflect and go, oh, I, I think it's this thing from 
when I was in fifth grade, my teacher told me I, whatever that is, right? Yes. And so when we can allow people to have this dissociated um, concept or tool that they don't feel broken, then they don't feel like something's wrong with them. Right. And that's A. B is our map was created by, tr I call it the trusted voice, well before we even realized we had a voice in this. And yeah. so our map was created by our parents, our teachers, our coaches, and our medical professionals, doctors, dentists, pediatricians, all the people that told us all the things that were right or wrong with us, right? Like you're too tall, you're too short, you're too heavy, you're too thin. All those things that get programmed onto our map, right? And so- and and so many of our maps, um, for some of our kids, like I know my daughter-in-law, I hope, you know, she doesn't object me saying this, but sometimes her parents didn't give her a voice in her map. Right. So she wasn't able to communicate the emotions or learn the language of her emotions to express. And so she has this map now, and sometimes she looks at it. And she's not sure she's, she said this to me recently. I just don't even know who I am. Right. Because Which she makes wasn't hearing that sense. voice. Yes. I was just going to say that. And so I think a lot of times people get frustrated with, they don't understand why you and I don't have the same view. And it's like, right. well, because we have different maps. Yes. Right. And so the other part of it is we can try to keep leading ourselves in a new direction, but our old map keeps taking us that way. And we're like, but I want to go that way. But your map's taking you that way. And until you heal your map, it's not going to change directions, right? Yeah. So I often say to teachers and parents and people like that, let's make sure that the kids that we're asking, even if it was the parents sitting across the table from their, their child, let's make sure that the things we're asking this person for actually exist on their map. Because yeah. yeah. odds are high, we have it on our map, but we never taught it to them. It's not on their map. Yeah. Or the version so, on their map is so outdated. Yeah. So how can we, it's something I talk about too in our, in our groups is that sometimes we haven't even taught, and maybe this isn't the same discussion, but so often um, growing up on my map, every emotion turned to anger. And yeah. so as my kids grew up, I wasn't able to identify, oh, you are so disappointed right now. Like I wasn't able to give their emotion a word. So I, I wasn't able to teach them the language of their emotions so that sometimes those turn to anger about everything, even though it might be disappointment, embarrassment, right. like all different emotions, but then they funnel to this. So how, I mean, is it, Obviously, like for grandkids, I can teach them the language of that emotion now because I'm so much wiser. <laughs> but um, yeah. what what can we do now when we have addicted loved ones and and we want to recognize where they are yeah. um, on their map and maybe yeah. help them sort through that? Sure. I think it's a great question and it circles back a little bit to what I was sharing earlier about the more that we heal, the yeah. more access we have. And so the more I heal, I'm going to learn all these different new words and all these emotions that I either wasn't allowing to come up previously, or I didn't know how to let them come up. I didn't know how to acknowledge them. I didn't know how to feel. Right. 
And so the more that we, the more of our own self we experience, the more we can help somebody experience more of them. And so if I say, man, I used to shut down. I used to just get quiet and retreat and not use my voice. And that probably wasn't very smart of me, but that was all I had access. And it's that transparency and that vulnerability too, to say, you know what, that's all I had access to. Right. And I, I kind of model this with my, I shared with you, I have a 13 year old and a 30 year old. And so, you know, with my 13 year old, there's times I often say, you know what, I don't know the answer. Or I might say to her, you know what, I need a minute because I'm really frustrated and I don't want to say the wrong thing. I need a minute. Yeah. Versus with my 30 year old, I probably would have just said, ah, and like yelled. Yeah. Right? Same. <laughs> yeah. And so now it's like, I think now when, when, when we're recognizing, especially with this whole map concept, I know every word that I say, I'm, I'm recording stuff on her map. And I'm like, Jody, is oh. that what you want on her map or not? That's pressure. Right. But it, it makes you be, it, it forces you as the parent to say, how do I heal this part of me? So I'm not triggered. Yes. So that I'm not responding. Yes. Because you have to look at the family patterns. So often yeah. I tell, I tell moms, well, first of all, like you said, when we heal ourselves, then our, our loved ones look at us and they're like, dang, I want what she has. Like, what is she doing? Right. And then, yeah. um, I lost my train of thought. I was gonna say Yeah. <laughs> no, we were just talking about like that space of like being yeah. transparent and, and, and sharing in that space. And the more we heal, the more we are encouraging our kids to heal. And the more we learn about us, the more we learn about what we did to our, I don't say what we did to our kids, but I'm saying, yeah. But kind of, right? Like the more we learn about us, the more we, we're like, oh, that's why that's oh, triggered. Yes, changing yeah. changing the family pattern. So yes. looking at, um, so this is another, I don't know, it's a wild example, but like when my son and my uh, older daughter were growing up, my son used to think we loved her better all the time. It was like, oh, how can we turn that? Like, and now I noticed that my grandkids think that I love the other set of grandkids better than them. And I'm seeing this pattern and I'm saying, wait a minute, there's gotta be something here. I don't know what it is. Like I need to stop this family pattern from repeating awareness is first. Where is that coming from? Right. I can share with you another nugget. That's really powerful when we start to pause. So this comes from deep inside my roots in neuro-linguistic programming, which is referred to as NLP. Our brain processes information. Think of this as our five senses, which I call this KVOG, like K-A-V-O-G. Okay. It's kinesthetic, auditory, visual, olfactory, and gustatory. Although the, the other two are not as well known, right? People don't usually think in smell or, or taste, but they do think in these other three spaces. Okay. So people say things like, yeah, I, I'm just not feeling it. Or I, I can't see what you mean. I don't see what you mean. So if I don't see what you mean, that means I'm processing it. I'm making a picture in my head because I'm saying see, right. right? I'm using the word see. And if the other person says that doesn't sound right, they're having a conversation in their head. Yeah. And I know this sounds really far-fetched, but I will show you two ways. If you're trying to build rapport, so say it's one of your grandkids, figure out what modality they're processing that in. 
and give them reassurance, like acknowledge and validate them in the modality that they're in. Okay. So if they say, um, you're always listening to my sister and you don't ever hear what I'm saying, listening and hearing is auditory. Yes. And so you might say to them, what would it sound like? Or you now oh, you what would say, it sound like? Right. No. So if you say to him, what would it sound like if I was listening? I was listening to you. Yeah. Yeah. Or what what would it sound like? What would you need to hear? And yeah. we stay in their modality, all of a sudden they light up because and they don't realize you're literally communicating in the way that they communicate. Right. And I share this in saying, like, we're not a hard like sometimes people say, well, I'm a kinesthetic learner. I'm a, and I'm like, we're all of them all over the board. It's just for different things. Right. Like you might learn to play the piano one way where you might learn how to type a paper a different way, where you might do the, um, like type an email or a, a text or whatever. Like we, we use all of our modalities. In different ways. Right. Yes. And the other thing would be if someone's, if you're trying to shift someone's perspective, Right and they're giving you kinesthetic cues, take them into a different modality. Because if they can't see it, right. ask them what it would sound like. Because they'll go, oh, well, I never thought about it that way. What would it sound like? What would it sound? Because you're literally making them access a different part of their brain. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, interesting. I, my next TED, TEDx talk is I talk about addiction and the metaphor I use is in a roundabout and how the cycle of our loved ones get stuck in that roundabout and then how the families get stuck over here in this other roundabout. And I just kind of give that metaphor and that visual. And after I shared it with my son, he's like, oh my gosh, I can so see that. Like he just, and I was like, oh, really? So, um, I, I get what you mean. Like some people just really, the light bulbs just go off. If you, depending on what modality or the one, the, what sense you, sure. but I guess you could always, if you're not sure you could say, well, what would that look like? If you saw, you know, what would, what would it look like if, if you felt that I was listening better or I don't know, but so you can just try one and, and then assess whether or not they grasp it better. Cause sometimes yeah. we might not know what they, how they're um, consuming that information or that. Absolutely. Question. And I think it, it'll be powerful. Now I feel like you'll spend all day tomorrow listening to people going, what was that kinesthetic? Was that <laughs> oh, they're making a picture. Oh, right. I, and so I, we're all going to spend time now going, wait, which way was that? What, how, I don't how, think how, I'm how smart enough or I have <laughs> enough energy. <laughs> But it's powerful. Once you catch on, it's easier than you think. Yes. And I can't, I can't wait to get your book. Yeah. Because this is, this is really good. And I'm going to, I'm going to see if, um, sometimes we read books together in our group. So we're, sure. we're gonna, I'll see if, um, if the rest of us want to do that and maybe I could come to have you come to one of our meetings to. as a, as a little speaker, um, impromptu. So going back to in, in closing, like this little interview with um, arrested emotional development, is there anything else that um, moms can do or not do that can help that? Uh, I think the best thing that any parent can do is simply ask questions. Yeah. 
And truly using those five prompt questions that I shared, when you ask your kids questions well after the fact, even if you ask them a question and they don't have an answer, they're going to like, our brains were designed, they're going to ponder that question and whether they give you the answer or whether they even have a conscious answer, they're going to ponder it until they find the answer. And it's going to stay on top of their brain until they find that solution. That's just how we operate. And so I think it's really powerful as parents to just ask kids questions and be detached from the outcome. I think that's the other part of it too. Oh, is yeah. When you're detached from the outcome, it's it's so much easier for everybody involved. Yeah. It's easier for the mom because then you're not saying, well, I hope they don't do this. And I hope, because whatever energy we put out there is really what we attract, right? Yeah. And so if we ask the question and trust the process. Right, which, trust the process. Yes, it sounds like a nightmare of an idea when you're in the mix of it. But trust me, I'm like, I I guarantee you, trusting the process and understanding that you're not in charge of them anyway, the only right. thing that you can really do is hold space and ask powerful, intentional questions. Yeah. Really. And I'm going to share those in the show notes too, moms, with um, Jody's book so that, you know, there's a quick link to getting that. Um, but this is fantastic. And um, I'd love to have you back again. Absolutely. Um, and how can we, how can we help you? Like how, how, where are you now in your business that, um, what, with what you do, or can you tell us just a little bit more? You said you're a coach. Absolutely. So I do a lot of coaching. I do a lot of speaking. I just wrote the book. It came out a month ago. Um, how can you help me read the book, buy the book, talk about it. Um, I love to come talk about the book. So if anybody's hearing this and they want me to come speak, I'm always open to that. Um, they can contact me. I mean, I have a website. I don't know if you if you want me to share that. Yeah. Yep. My website is just my first and last name. So it's jodygibson.com. And Jody is two E's, J-O-D-E-E-G-I-B-S-O-N.com. I'm also, I, all of my social media handles are the same. They're at Jody Gibson, just the at symbol and my first and last name. I'm pretty flexible. I answer all of my messages, emails, DMs, whatever it is. If you want to reach out, I'm here. Absolutely. And final question, what or how did you always know that you wanted to get um, into this type of knowledge and journey in your education? Um, yes and no. Um, so Tony Robbins was a household name in our house from the moment I was, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old. My dad always joke, jokes about the idea that he saw Tony Robbins at the Double Tree in Dearborn in 1986, and he thinks it was 20 bucks. Uh, and there was a handful of people there. It was way before Tony was anything, really. And he was fascinated. And so that that energy was always present in my household. But um, did I know I would have this level of education? No, I barely graduated from high school. I was a teen mom. I stumbled through uh, undergrad. I It took me nine years to get my associate's degree. I then realized I was smart, um, which is a fun story. I ended up on the dean's list and thought I was in trouble. I thought I was on the principal's list. Oh. I, I was so far removed from smart people. I didn't even know what the dean's list was. But once I landed on it, I was probably four or five years into Henry Ford Community College. And my parents were like, no, that means that you have a 4.0. And I was like, me? 
And so from that point forward, I maintained that 4.0 and finished that. I finished undergrad and I finished grad school all with honors. And it was that educational experience that was, I think I finished grad school 15 years ago. I haven't stopped learning. I'm entertaining a PhD right now, but all of that paired upon my experiential education. Like I've been a single mom this whole time. I've been raising kids, learning, educating, speaking, coaching, teaching, all of it. And so there's not really any area that I have yet to experience in my life. And trauma is like a fluent language for me. And I think I know more about trauma than most psychologists because they don't really teach it. They're not teaching them. They might have one class on trauma, but the rest of it's on other things that don't really play a role. And it's not really about human behavior. And so did I know this was where I was going to land? No, I've probably known I was going to write a book for the past three years. Um, I'm glad that's done. Uh, <laughs> I have another one coming. It's in my mind. It's not on paper yet, but it, it won't take long to write. Um, but now I'm just speaking and coaching and teaching and really trying to help people heal. Because I think that people aren't talking about healing. They're talking about being sick. They're talking about mental illness. They're talking about medicating. They're talking about all these things except healing. Turn it around. Let's talk about healing. As soon as we learn to heal, we put all that other stuff down. Yep. And, you know, this is just a side note. I took my very first college course at Henry Ford Community College. Oh, my goodness. So my mom, I remember my parents said to me, uh, what do you want for graduation? And I had been there for nine years. And I said, I just want a sweatshirt that says alumni. Oh, I just don't want to be a student here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But you went back. Well, Jody, this has been such a pleasure to talk to you and get to know you better and what you do. And I just want to say thank you for doing what you do and caring so much about um, the human race and um, people who need to heal and showing them a way, constructive ways to do that. So thank you so much. And um, I look forward to seeing you again. God bless. Bye-bye.